Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Stephen Gerrard to my Jurgen Klopp. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Ah, oh, Justin, how's your weekend been? Was it better than Ipswich Towns? <laughs> it was better than that. Uh, yeah, definitely better than Ipswich Towns. Definitely better than that Maidstone fan who fell from the top tier as well. <laughs> I was going to ask that. <laughs> that is one of the most bizarre videos ever, but I also don't know how to react to it because I'm not sure if we should be concerned or laugh at it. It's a mixture of both, isn't it? Well, I did read that there was no serious injury, so that's the that's the main thing. Um, mm. And yes, it may be slightly ever so clueless from the Mesa fan to forward roll onto a pitched <laughs> roof. Um, you know, a football fan. It's the different angles, isn't it? It's the different yeah. angles because you've got the one angle where you literally just see him and then disappear into the abyss. Yeah. But then you've got another angle from what I assume is the Ipswich end, where you see him land, but then. His arms start going up in the air and he's still fist pumping, even though he's just fallen like 10 feet. Yeah, on his way to hospital, but still buzzing. That, actually, no, I did say uh, maybe my weekend was better than that Maidstone fan they fell from the top tier, but actually, it probably wasn't. It probably wasn't. I don't think you could, I don't think you could, be, you know, trying to, trying to tip um, your, your team creating history in the FA Cup and also um, falling from the top tier of a stadium and living to tell the tale. Actually, you've had a good weekend. <laughs> Yeah, well, it seems like he had a good weekend, even though he, uh, I, I assume he must have had some sort of injury after falling from that kind of height. But, you know, well done to him and well done to Maidstone. Um, great drama in the FA Cup this weekend, Monty. Some really, really massive, well, just entertaining games. Usually the FA Cup around this kind of time is a bit is a bit mixed, isn't it? But this weekend mm-hmm. in particular has been absolutely cracking. Not sure about what happened in the West Brom game, by the way. That escalated very quickly, didn't it? I, I've not seen anything like it. And I'm, I'm not really sure how it all got out of hand so quickly. Well, are you surprised if Boilerman's around, the West Brom mascot? Things are always going to get heated when he's uh, when he's close. Hey, I like that. Yeah. Well done. You well go. done, Justin. That may be the funniest thing you've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, it is the FA Cup fourth round weekend, but we did have some championship games for us to mull over. Three, to be precise, including a huge relegation six-pointer between QPR and Huddersfield, which we will talk about very shortly. But we've also got some transfer news. Of course, the transfer week window is nearing its end so some clubs are still getting very busy and we've got plenty of uh, rumours as well uh, around those parts and we'll also finish off the show with the polls and Simon Grayson's hateful late as usual on a Sunday. So let's kick things off with two late goals for both sides which saw QPR and Huddersfield draw one all in a huge game in the relegation battle. Such a dramatic end to this one, Justin. And you text me on WhatsApp beforehand saying, God, this game has been dull, which I don't think it was, by the way. And then the final 10 minutes was just 
carnage, wasn't it? I am going to defend myself there and say I've I've transitioned from the Wolves West Brom game where it was a literal riot into this game. So forgive me for thinking that the pace of the games were a bit different. Well, do you not think that just because there's so much at stake here, it was so tense? And for me, it felt a bit like a playoff game because there was so much on the line. You're probably right in that sense because there's a you know there was a tension in the air. There was a you know if you make a mistake, opposition can punish you, and you yeah. know, it's, there's a lot of there's a lot at stake. But I think that also <laughs> that's at the expense of the quality of the game, which was where I was sort of my point is being lended to there. I just think there's a lack of quality, and you know there's no real surprise that both of these teams are down towards the bottom of the table. They've mm. got good players at their hands, but I think um, you know it's trying yeah. to find ways that obviously keeps things keeps things tight. Um, so they don't concede goals, not so open as they have been at, at times this season, but also it gets the best out of the quality players that they got at disposal, which I don't think either manager has really found the, right, found the right balance to do so yet. Quality players at their disposal? Are you being, what? They're, you, not, they're not the best sides, are they? No, they're not the best sides, but you've got QPR, we've said many a times, they've got the likes of uh, Elias Chair, uh, Chris Willick, who are very good players when they're on form, we know this, um, Sam Field as well, and then you've got Huddersfield, who have, they, you know, I'm struggling a little bit with Huddersfield. I was going to say, you, you, you've <laughs> repeatedly said this Huddersfield squad is one of the worst in the division. And yeah, but you're they've still got some gems, well. they've still got some gems. Sorba Thomas, on his day, again, if, he's, if he finds the form they had on the Cox Corbett, he's a very good player. Uh, Jack Redoni, as we show, uh, as he displayed in this game, was a very, he's a very good technical tidy player um, so there are there is quality in the sides it's just as I say just finding both managers trying to find a balance to get it out um, to get it out in games get it out of them and, and, and let them express themselves without being too open On the game itself I was really impressed with Huddersfield I, I thought they were much the better side and probably one of their best performances of the season I mean Sorba Thomas was excellent it was like watching the Sorba Thomas who was one of Huddersfield's best players when they got to the playoff final. He, he was mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant with some of the balls he was putting in. And then Jack Rodoni was brilliant as well, as was Alex Matos. And they kept QPR arm's length and just defended really, really well. So I came away from this thinking Huddersfield will feel a bit hard done by, Justin. They probably wouldn't. Again, you know, switching off late in the game and conceding so late is disappointing, having scored so late themselves. But you are right. I do I do think Sorber Thomas did impress me. That's why I wanted to point him out because he is a good player and his, his delivery is fantastic. And when you've got the likes of uh, Radulovic and, and, and Reese Healy as, as, as focal points in that side, you know, it helps when you've got targets to aim for when you're trying to put balls in the box. And Sorber Thomas does. And that probably that might make him look a little bit better than he probably has been in the past. But at the end of the day, um, Darren Moore's got a big task uh, at his hands to try and you know, squeeze out more consistency in his performances, and and whilst um, whilst Huddersfield did look the better side, I don't think they were they were fantastic. It's gonna, I mean, it's not gonna be the case anyway. Um, There's a lot of endeavour, just a lot of yeah, you know, well, I say a lot of, but a lack of quality. Well, one thing that we haven't really mentioned too much is Huddersfield's injury problems during this uh, shaky run of form, because not only is it an already weak squad that Darren Moore's having to deal with, but the number of injuries they've had at times have been in double figures and mm. it's meant that they've not been able to play with a back four um, too often which is what Darren Moore has said he would prefer to use here they did and you could tell it made a world of difference so you know this is how they can play when he has more players available to him and hopefully going forwards with you know the additions that they've made in January as well that will mean that they can play with Darren Moore's preferred formation a bit more often and that will do Huddersfield a world of good, wasn't it? And a quick word, Justin, on Huddersfield's goal, actually, because there was an offside in mm. there, wasn't there, in, in the build-up to it. And 
you know, it didn't really mean much in the end because QPR managed to get the equaliser. But if Huddersfield came away from this with the three points and, you, you know, how much of a difference that would make in the relegation battle, then that goes to show why there needs to be some sort of assistance for referees, doesn't it? Because we can't afford for decisions like that to go amiss. Yeah, it's it's one that I might sympathise a little bit with the linesman because it's you know there's a lot to look across, but it yeah, was yeah. it was pretty obvious, um, and that's where a VAR light, quote unquote, um, yeah. would help where it's just offsides, and that's something that's a point we've made in the past over the last sort of six or seven weeks. I know everyone will be turning the nose up saying no VAR, no VAR, but it means you don't get situations like this where should Hood have yeah it did if Huddersfield had won. Um, it would have, you know, it would have been a huge talking point. And I think the other thing is, <laughs> obviously, a really random story, really random gateway. But there's this the, the game in Belgium um, between Anderlecht and Genk, where a VAR error um, cost uh, one of the team's points, and it got taken to court, and it's being replayed. You know, at what point does does that happen when a situation is where it's not VAR? Orientated, mm-hmm. but actually a linesman making a decision or a referee making a decision, a game changing decision. So that's where a precedent gets set. So actually, if you do have um, do have a situ- uh, a scenario where VR light is in place and these these issues don't happen, then everyone everyone goes away happy. Yeah. That's a fair point, Justin, because you know relegation for QPR would be costly, wouldn't it? And if it falls down yeah. to s- silly little things like that, then that's when things could be taken to court and it doesn't happen on the football pitch anymore. Um, But looking at this game overall, Justin, how much does this result affect the relegation battle? I mean, if it it finished with the Huddersfield 1-0 win before the late goal, then, I mean, that may have been the relegation battle done and dusted, possibly. Um, But with the late equaliser, how much is... How much does that change things or will QPR still be licking their wounds and not being able to get a win? I think QPR probably go away a little bit happier. I don't think they were the better side, although it's marginal. And obviously when you get a late equaliser, it can it can generate a little bit of momentum going into your next game. I think from a Huddersfield perspective as well, it's another draw. It's another nearly moment. And those nearly moments need to start changing into moments where you get points on the board. And I think at this point, Huddersfield fans, judging on, on, on comments on, on social media, they're getting pretty pretty frustrated with Darren Moore's football it's understandable um, because he hasn't had enough wins but like I said there are so many nearly moments and when you've got half a squad and that half a squad's quality isn't great it's going to be difficult to turn into turn into wins but I think at right now it doesn't change much in the relegation picture because it's a draw at the end of the day nothing nothing changes it just means Wednesday have an opportunity to gain some ground on uh, on QPR and um, on Huddersfield when, when with their game in hand um, but at the end of the day, I think it's about building momentum. And I think QPR will probably take a little bit more out of this game than maybe others would do. Well, the thing is, I think not only would QPR fans have been celebrating that equaliser, but I think Sheffield Wednesday and Rotherham would have yeah. as well. Because otherwise, I mean, Rotherham, we've pretty much relegated already. But I mean, it would, have been look, it would have been looking pretty bleak for Sheffield Wednesday, wouldn't it? Even though they have been in decent, decent-ish form recently. But QPR have only won six points from an available 27 after this result and that's why you look at the three-point gap I mean it could have been a lot worse if if it was a a five-point gap Um, but the three-point gap is still quite a large one just because QPR have struggled so much to regularly pick up points recently but the thing is Justin Huddersfield because they've been so busy in the January window you know they have got to this point where they're outside of the bottom three and are now stronger than they were in the first half of the season. So yeah. really, I'm looking at this from a Huddersfield perspective and thinking, you know what? 
this is pretty good. And while they'll be disappointed that they didn't get the three points here after being 1-0 up in so late in the, on in the game, you know, this is probably a better result for Huddersfield than it is QPR, isn't it? Well, I think it depends how you look at it. I, I do think QPR might take a little bit more away from it because of that late equaliser. It's a lot of character to... Um, to to come back from conceding a late equaliser and then score uh, sorry conceding a late goal and then scoring one yourself it takes a lot to come back from that especially when you when you've been down there for most of the season um, so I think that's a big thing for Sifuentes that is looking like it's been a fair bit of change over the last two games especially is that it, it looks like there's a, a bit more of a steely attitude and I think to put this game into context as we've mentioned already. There's a lot of tension. It was a I must not lose for but for both sides really. But yeah, I, I'd probably disagree a little bit. I do think QPR will probably take a little bit more away from it than Huddersfield. But at the end of the day, a draw probably doesn't help either side because they both needed wins. Well, we talked about Huddersfield strengthening in the January window. QPR have done their bit of business as well. They've signed Swiss striker Michael Frey from Royal Antwerp on a permanent deal. The 29-year-old scored 24 goals in 39 games for them a couple of seasons ago, then had a loan spell at Schalke, which didn't work out. Um, But an interesting move. Wasn't there a Swiss striker who played for Basel in the noughties called Frey? Alex Frey. He was good. No, wasn't it Sebastian Frey? No, Sebastian Frey's a French goalkeeper. Ah, Alex Frey's a Swiss striker, and that was F-R-E-I. He scored quite a few goals in the Champions League, I recall. He was prolific. He was was one of the players that I used to sign off at Major quite often. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if it was him for a sec. He'd be about <laughs> but, 40. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of market QPR batting in at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> but QPR have desperately needed a striker, haven't they? And, you know, his goal record has been a bit mixed over over the years. But, you know, he has a goal record to talk about, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I think QPR are in a position where they needed to take a gamble. He's obviously pretty bold to let Andre Dizel go, for example. Um but it's probably the right risk because, as I say, they need a striker. Sinclair Armstrong's been good this season, but he's still very raw and his finishing needs a bit of work. And when you're down there fighting against relegation, you need someone who's got a little bit more presence and a little bit more of a clinical touch. And if you can, if you can tap into that, you know, spell where he scored 24 goals in 39 games a couple of seasons ago, you know, a spell that earned uh, Friday the chance to go to the Bundesliga with Schalke, then, um, then yeah, you've got a very good striker, very good striker on your hands. Well, he's played for some big clubs. Lille, Fenerbahce, Schalke, Young Boys. The problem is he hasn't scored many goals for any of those clubs. And the teams he has scored for tend to be the ones with a smaller reputation, so we say. Mm. So it's Did interesting. Big to... club. Well, I, no, I'm, I'm talking about in the past. I'm not talking about now, you idiot. Um, but it'll be that's why it's going to be interesting to see what fray we get. In a, in the uh, in the championship and how well he does because it seems to be a bit of a feast or famine situation with him based on his goals record in the past so that's why it's uh, quite intriguing to see how this one goes but nonetheless let's move on to one of the other games in the championship this weekend Justin and Sunderland ended a losing run of three games by beating Stoke three one and a much needed victory for Mick Beale. Yeah, hugely needed. Uh, it's probably a little bit more of something that you want to see. It's the type of the performance that maybe wins fans over over time. Not immediately, but certainly over time. And three points does that as well, absolutely. But it's essentially getting the best out of the attack, in which is, we saw glimpses of really what they can do. And sure, it wasn't dominant. Stoke had a lot of chances themselves. But um, 
you know, it was a, it was a much more uh, assured display going forwards. And again, we saw a lot of attacking um, potential that you really do expect with this Sunderland side. So yeah, I think it was a step in the right direction, mending a relationship as well, which is it, which is a big thing because that that's the big one there that um, that needs to be that needs to be fixed is is the real real issue with supporters as well. Well, this is why I was saying on Friday, Justin, that I think you were being a bit overdramatic by essentially saying Sunderland have been shocking under Beal because they haven't really. Yes, the fans want him out, but that's because they don't believe he's the man to take them forward as a club. It's not because performances have dropped off a cliff and they've been clearly terrible because, well, they haven't been amazing. They haven't been terrible. They've just been all right, really. And, you know, you, you could say he's got a very talented side at his disposal. So is all right acceptable? That's another debate for another day, really. But it's interesting seeing the response from Sunderland fans to this result because it seems like this has alleviated the pressure somewhat, but you still have plenty who say this doesn't change anything. And that's why it'll be quite interesting to see what the response is from Sunderland's next game. I don't think Beale helps himself with comments like he made in the week. He said, I can't change my accent or where I'm from. I haven't worked in London for 10 years. My accent hasn't changed. I'm not crying over it. I'm a big boy. What's he on about, Justin? Can you just imagine him rocking up to his next press conference speaking Mackham? Yes. <laughs> Sure, that would go down well. <laughs> yeah, I think it would go down like a yeah, final lift, wouldn't it? It would be horrendous. But I get that he's had a lot of sticks, so he's probably going to be a little bit defensive. But I disagree. I think the football hasn't been good enough. I, I do think it's been a huge drop-off from the Tony Mowbray style. Um, and, and results haven't been good enough either. So, yeah, winning supporters over is, is going to be a big point um, and a big thing for him. Uh, and he's not going to do that by complaining about his accent or race from. And the thing is as well... I don't think Sunderland fans wanting him out is a personal thing. I think it's more down to them simply believing he's not a good enough manager and the anger from the fans is more directed at the board as opposed to him. But accusing the fans of not liking him because he's Southern and mocking them for overreacting to his appointments, that's a really good way for the fans or to make the fans change their minds and also make it about them not liking him as a bloke either. So he's not handling it all very well, but hey... If it wins more games, then that's the best way to shut up the Boo Boys, isn't it? So that's something he's got to sort out. Another situation which doesn't seem to have been handled very well, not necessarily by Beal, but Sunderland as a club, is the future of Alex Pritchard. The club put out a statement on Saturday saying the midfielder has made himself unavailable for selection because he wants to leave the club. He's out of contract in the summer and has been linked with a reunion with old Mobes down at Birmingham, as well as a move abroad. What was your reaction to this, Justin? It's quite strange for a club to make a statement like this in the first place, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually. It's, it's, uh, I think that's probably why my eyebrows were raised so highly. Uh, I think the timing of it is a bit strange as well. Um, it's quite quite quickly before a game, but I guess Pritchard's probably made himself unavailable um, within that time period, a short time period before the game. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I just think it's interesting the fact that it's been so publicly publicly handled, and I think that's probably maybe the club being a little bit defensive as they have been over the last, uh, or maybe not as they have been, but yeah, they made some pretty rocky decisions. So. You know they want to sort of dispel any any uh, an outside idea of potential player discontent. I think it's just a case of Pritchard maybe not getting the contract that he wants. Something to have have a heavy emphasis on on younger players, so maybe he's not getting in the years he wants, and he might get that somewhere like um, somewhere like Birmingham. I think I think um, Tony Mowbray's 
not so subtle subtle way of saying that he's coming to Birmingham was, was quite funny as well. We basically said um, he's a good player, he likes him, but I shouldn't be talking about him. So let's see what happened. Wink, wink. <laughs> Didn't say wink, wink, by the way, but I'm just imagining there was a little wink at the end of the end of the sentence. I wish he did. Well, <laughs> um, reports do say the dispute between Sunderland and Pritchard is because of the length of the deal they're offering him. And apparently they're only willing to give him an extra year and he understandably wants more. And it's a shame because he's been playing his best football in quite a long time at Sunderland, but he clearly sees an opportunity for that to continue under his old manager at Birmingham. It's also a chance for some longish term certainty with a longer contract. So you can completely understand why he wants to go. It is just a shame, as I say, because Sunderland, well, before Sunderland, he hadn't really been playing too well for quite a while, has he? And now, Mm -hmm. you know, Sunderland gave him a platform to be the player that he is, who's been coveted by a couple of uh, other championship sides. And now it's got to this where he's trying to force his way out. It's a shame, really. And it's back to back losses for Stoke and Stephen Schumacher now, just in one win in five. It leaves them 19th and sort of feels like this season is fizzling out into another bottom half finish, doesn't it? And this would be the sixth bottom half finish in a row for them if that does happen. So how do they escape this cycle, Justin, or are they stuck in it for the rest of eternity? You're asking me how the Hadron Collider works. I've got no idea. <laughs> I've got absolutely no idea. I, I think if I was going to be blunt, it's not going to be fixed overnight. So if you're reacting to big changes being made at managerial level, you know, players coming in, you can't expect things to be a success over a season, especially if things have been so underwhelming and underperforming for years preceding this season. They've made huge changes in the summer behind the scenes. There's been a lot of movement recruitment-wise, a lot of players coming from overseas. It takes time for them to settle. It takes time for things to get ticking. It's natural. Um, they also made the significant step to hire a manager who's who's booked a trend of their last you know, few few appointments in Stephen Schumacher. He's a forward-thinking young coach, wants to put emphasis on player development and an attacking style and more controlling games. And we're seeing elements of that come through already. But... I think you've got to allow him to allow him to to really um, understand the club, uh, change expectations at the club as well, and work with the players that he's got. Because as I say, they had a real mishmash summer, and it's going to take time for these things to change. Well, they did have a very busy summer, didn't they? And we questioned whether it was actually a good window or not, which led to a fair bit of blowback by Stoke fans. But it's now looking like. We've approved right because some of the signings have done well. Both Keanu Hoiver and Luke McNally have been great, but they are only on loan. Walter Berger has been good as well, but he did cost over £4 million, so you'd expect him to be good. And the thing I kept joking about in the summer was how Stoke seemed to sign about 100 forwards. And yet the only teams to score fewer goals than them this season are the three sides in the bottom three. And their top goal scorer is Andre Vidigal, who's only scored once since September. So that goes to show that things didn't go as well as maybe Stoke fans were expecting in the summer. And the transfer policy always felt a bit scattergunny, didn't it? Yeah. And that's one of the things that definitely needs to improve, or maybe even the main thing that needs to improve in the summer. I'm also not sure whether Stephen Schumacher is the man to turn this around. I did raise those concerns when this move happens because I just think it's a huge job in his hands and it may be too big of a job maybe a bit harsh I think I think Justin Justin look at the managers they've had before they've all struggled as well why is Stephen Schumacher going to be any different 
because like I was saying, I think they booked a trend of, of the type of manager they brought in. They brought in pragmatic, defensive-minded, um, safety-first coaches. Alex Neal, Gary Rower, Nathan Jones sort of sits in between, Michael O'Neill as well. They're not the type of manager that Stephen Schumacher is. And like I said, it's a young, ambitious manager who's kind of want to push and push and push, get more out of his players and get more out of the attacking quality in the squad. I think, again, we saw it in this game. Defensively, they were they were not not the best, but they created a lot of chances. They created a lot of moments that they, they didn't take. Um, and I think if it was a, another day where the team was clicking and they were confident, they probably would have taken those chances. Um, so I do think... Whilst I'm not going to say Stephen Schumacher is the man to turn it around because we've seen many examples of it not working in the past, so it's quite hard to convince yourself that it's going to be the case. I think it's it's quite hard for me to make an argument that he's not going to be the man to turn it around for, the, for those reasons as well. I think it's a big job at Stoke. Experienced managers have struggled. They've got a young coach here now who's 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 different from the rest, so let's see what he can do. You know, It's only been a few games so far. Yeah. That's a fair point. That's a completely fair point, Justin. Let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Millwall's draw with Preston and move on to some of the transfer bits and pieces which have happened over the past few days. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. And it's now time for us to check out how our Second Tier Multiple with SBK got on, which included our Game of the Week, as well as Justin and I's two picks from Friday's show. And we went for Sunderland to beat Stoke, as well as QPRV Huddersfield to be a draw. But which one let us down? It was Justin's selection of Millwall to beat Preston. So Justin has let us down this week. Close, but no cigar for us. But we'll be back again with another multiple in this coming Friday's preview show with SBK. And hopefully we'll have a bit more luck than Justin. Um, but let's talk about that game which Justin cocked up on. And it's Millwall 1, Preston 1. <sighs> Fucking hell, lads. There's only three games this week. And at least make this sort of interesting. Um, <laughs> Justin... Now seems as good a time as any to review Joe Edwards as starters, Millwall manager, because I don't really have much to say about this game. He's had 15 games in charge, won four, drawn four, lost seven. Now, that doesn't sound great without context, but do you think we're seeing progress in these first 15 games? 
I think to give you something before we get onto that, to give you something interesting about the the game is Ian Fleming. I think has scored thirty percent of his goals for Millwall against Preston. Yeah, I did see so that. That's, that's a pretty good stat. Um, but now, move, yeah, moving on, to Joe Edwards. I think so. I think we are seeing progress. Uh, there's a lot of transition to go. I mean, I was just alluding before the break to uh, you know about Stoke and their transition of managers. Millwall about the same. Neil Harris, Gary Rowett, um, you know, players, managers like that. Um, it's very difficult to get them out of a um, not a rut, but you know, a position where the side of football was you know, very sticky. It's very hard to you know, very stodgy. It's very hard to get out of. And I think Joe Edwards is slowly ironing it out. There's a lot more intensity in games, which is ideal. We saw it in this game, especially. First five, ten minutes, Millwall came out of the blocks, raced out of the blocks. Preston couldn't really handle them and, and they got a goal. They got their rewards in the first five minutes. It's a big it's a big push. It's a big step up. Dropped off naturally. But I think, as I say, especially when you're playing a high intensity, it's not only about tactically, but it's also about fitness as well. Those things aren't going to improve over 15 games. It's going to be time. It's going to be a pre-season as well, like Stephen Schumacher at Stoke. So there are some similarities there. But yeah, for me, I am seeing I am seeing progress. I'm more, uh, a lot more reassured now that I've had a sample of games to really look at Joe Edwards. Joe Edwards, because obviously I was I was a bit sceptical beforehand before he got appointed. Um, but I'm a lot more content now as to the direction they're going in. Yeah. Well, we haven't seen a lot of evidence so far to suggest he's going to be a success at Millwall. I mean, they were playing pretty poorly under Gary Rowett this season and have improved somewhat since Edwards has come in, but it's not been drastic by any means. But look, Joe Edwards wasn't brought in to bring immediate results because he's a long-term appointment. He's a young coach in his first job. So he's also trying to do things differently to how they were done previously. Of course, Millwall were you know, traditionally quite a direct team and Joe Edwards seems to be trying to play the ball around a bit more. So... That's admirable, but it's going to take time for that transition to happen, isn't it? So while yeah. this this season may go down as one of regression, you'd hope it will benefit Millwall in the long term. And maybe you've just got to put this down as a transition season. And if anything ha- else happens as the season goes on, then it's just a bonus really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is just four wins in 23 now for Ryan Lowe and Preston. Remarkably, they're still 12th and just four points off the top six. Definitely one of those teams who you look at in the table and go, how? Just how? And let's do some transfer news, Justin. And this was uh, an alarming bit of news if you're a Leicester City fan, which broke in the last couple of days. Brighton and Brentford are amongst the clubs interested in signing Kieran Dewsbury Hall before the window closes, according to multiple reports. Sky Sports say it would take more than £40 million for anyone to get him. What have you made of this, Justin? Yeah, weird. I had a couple of uh, Leicester fans who who go to my gym who come up to me and ask me, and I was, I was like, oh, yeah, they, they were pretty worried, they were pretty concerned, and I think it's 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 uh, it's probably fine to be concerned because I think the timing of the uh, the offers or the, the reports did raise my eyebrows again. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of eyebrow raising this week. As I say, the timing is an odd one. The quantity of money is is an interesting one because it's very hard to turn down forty million pounds, especially in January, mm. especially when you are sort of dancing a little bit with with FFP and and whatnot but um I think selling uh Dewsbury Hall at this stage can be detrimental to a season especially when you bring into context that the Wilfred indeed is is out for an extended period of time because you lose that driving force in that midfield there are a lot of games this season with Leicester who uh, where sorry they um they struggle to get out of first or second gear the players that get them out of that gear and into third gear uh, gear is is Dewsbury Hall and and, and indeed so not having them for a long period of time is going to be so so um impactful uh, to their to their performances and therefore results and again 
Goal contributions, 18 goal contributions this season from Dewsbury Hall. Best player in the league by a million miles. Selling your best player and the best player in the league in January can can potentially have the impact of slowing things down uh, in terms of your trajectory of, of promotion. Well, that's why I'll start off by saying I'll be extremely surprised if Caden Dewsbury Hall isn't still a Leicester player this time next week. Because the likelihood of... A, someone paying this much money so late in the window seems unlikely to me. And B, because Leicester will probably want even more as mm. the window gets closer to it closing. So, of course, it'll be a gigantic blow for Leicester if he does go, because he's by far the most influential player and probably the best player in the championship. I also think, though, from a Dewsbury Hall perspective, you're almost certainly going to be in the Premier League next season. So does he need... This move, he's playing for his local club. He's been with Leicester since he was eight. He's settled there. I don't see what he would particularly gain from leaving because also when they're in the Premier League next season, Leicester will be good. They won't be fighting relegation. I'm pretty certain that will be the case. So I think he should stay put. I don't think it makes a dramatic amount of sense for him to move. Of course, Brighton, great club, very well run. So there are obvious advantages to moving there. But I don't think it's so dramatically obvious that Dewsbury Hall will be, you know, urging Leicester to accept the bid, if you see what I mean. Can I throw in a devil's advocate grenade into your pit? So we've got uh, got the Euros coming up. Big, big time for a lot of English-based players wanting to get Mm, into the site of Gareth Southgate. Killing Dewsbury Hall is 25. He's been at Leicester for a very long time. And for me, he's... He's going to have a lot for the for the football club, especially this season. Um, and professionally, you get to a point where you think my next step is really important in my career. Do I need to be playing if I've got a chance to get into get into the the Euro squad? And I do think he does. I think he's got so much quality. And if he's in a team like a Brighton, for example, that's going to put him on the radar of, of Gareth Southgate because he's he's so so good. Whether or not an uncapped player gets called up, I don't know. But if he can have a good end to the season in the Premier League, then maybe that might happen. So that might be in Dewsbury Hall's thinking here, is that potentially could could uh, could be could be on the plane to... Where are the Euros? For God's sake, you're doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> it is a fair point, Justin. It is a fair point. Um, the Euros are in Germany, by the way. Um, <laughs> and it's not something I had really considered. However, I, I imagine while Dewsbury Hall would be quite attracted to the idea of being involved in the England setup for the Euros, maybe he may look at it and think that's a bit of a long shot. So is it worth throwing away all the good things he's got at Leicester to gamble on the small chance that he will get in the Euro squad? That's what I'd say on that. Yeah, it's such an interesting debate to have, and it's one that I can't, I can't answer. I don't know what I would do if I was in his shoes because you say being a boyhood hero and and literally dragging your team into uh, to back into the premier league and uh, yeah he's doing that um yeah it's quite a hard thing to 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 weigh up but you know if he gets on the blow to Gareth Southgate and Southgate goes you know what you might be on my my radar that might's where he's thinking not that I think Southgate would do that or that would happen um because that that feels a bit like tapping up <laughs> i mean he's he's allowed to do that he is the england manager but he can't you can't tell someone yeah he should move I mean, other clubs, other uh, national team managers have done that. I remember um, Louis van Gaal was saying to, 
was it Cody Gakpo not to move to yeah. Manchester United yeah. or something uh, like that? Stephen Kelly did it for Jason Knight as well, and that's why he left. Yeah. He left Derby, Bristol City, the, the scoundrel. Yeah. It does happen. It does happen. Um, but I'm not. I'm not sure. Gareth Southgate would want to stick his nose in there. Well, it's a big nose, isn't it? So he may, get <laughs> may get stuck in there. Whatever happens. Um, anyway, a player who is leaving Leicester this January is Luke Thomas because the left back has gone to Middlesbrough on loan. He was playing regularly in the Premier League while on loan at Sheffield United this season until Chris Wilder came in and they only started one game in six so they cancelled that loan. But what do you think, Peachy? I, I was a bit surprised in a couple of ways about this because one, Lucas Engel, who's Middlesbrough's left back, has been playing pretty well recently. So I'm not sure how much Thomas is going to play. So if he does, it seems a bit harsh and angle. But also, Enzo Moresca has been bemoaning the lack of a left-footed left-back mm. at Leicester. And I, I thought Luke Thomas's return might be a convenience in that regard, but he, he clearly doesn't fancy him. Well, he, he sent him out on loan in the, in the summer, didn't he? So he clearly doesn't see what he needs for him to fit into his system. I thought with that, though, that it may be a case of Luke Thomas wanted to play in the Premier League and Sheffield United come knocking and they're just like, yeah, fine, you can go. <laughs> Yeah, again, it's it's just an odd one. I think from a versatility perspective, he probably helps Middlesbrough, um, and I, I do agree in the sense that Lucas Lucas Engel, you know, shaken off a very rocky start to his Borough career, and has now been very, very effective, especially going forward. He's become a bit of a fan favourite as well. So, the likelihood of him, you know, him coming out of the team and Luke Thomas going straight in, probably not the case. But I think it adds depth to to, to Carrick's squad. He's he's a forward thinking left back as well. He can play centre-back if needed if Borough want to switch to a back three so a left side of centre-back is going to be useful um, so yeah it's, it's just one I don't don't really know what to make of it um, but you are right Moreska not really fancying him I think he's a big he's a big tower he's 22 as well so Luke Thomas is getting to a point in his career where he needs to be playing regular football is he going to get out of Borough if Engel keeps performing probably not but yeah, it's just a strange one yeah, he is a good player, though. I wonder if this might be an audition for him to move permanently because it sounds as if he's not in Maresca's plans. So if he does well, he could sort himself a move, whether that be at Borough or somewhere in the Championship. So definitely, if he gets game time, then hopefully he'll uh, look at that as an opportunity. And, and the final bit of transfer news we'll touch on, Justin, is the East Anglian Daily Times saying Ipswich are targeting AFC Wimbledon striker Ali El Hamadi. The 21-year-old has scored 17 goals in his last 19 games for the Dons and their boss, Johnny Jackson, was speaking on Saturday. He admitted Al Hamadi's head has been turned by the interest and was left out of the game against Mansfield. No surprise that he's been linked with a championship club, is it, just in a young lad scoring as many goals as him? That's going to happen. So is he the answer to Ipswich's striker conundrum? Hmm, yeah, potentially. Uh, he's young, so he fits a good profile. I think he would be a better pursuit than maybe Sam Gallagher because there's more to develop there. And I think there's a bit more flexibility in terms of his, his technical profile as well. There are certain risks with him now, obviously. Um, because he's jumping from League Two is, is is a big thing. He's but you know going back to his technical profile, he's he's a player who likes to link up with with others. Um, he's got six assists this season as well, which is which is a big thing. He's comfortable with the ball at his feet and with his back to goal. Not as proficient aerially as George Hurst, but George Hurst is a monster. But playing into his feet, you're not going to have that problem, are you? So I think he ticks a lot of boxes. It's just whether or not he can make the step up in the short term to the championship because Ipswich do need that. They need sort of an immediate impact. Um, certainly, if he was, you know, look towards next season, then yeah, absolutely, I would jump for him. But it just depends where Ipswich's priorities are. Whether it's just a case of let's get a striker in now who's going to improve us right this second, or let's get a striker in now who's going to have an impact, but he's going to be better next season. It's yeah. an interesting one. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I'd be very interested to see how he does in the championship because I have kept an eye on him in League Two and just seems to be scoring every single week. Um, so if he does make the step up to the championship, it would be very, very intriguing. Um, and the final bit of news that we will touch on, just not transfer related, but unfortunately we have to talk about this because less than a week on from Coventry's Casey Palmer being racially abused by a fan, there were more disappointing scenes at Hillsborough where Sheffield Wednesday and Coventry met again, but this time in the Cup. Not only was Palmer booed by Wednesday fans when he was on the ball, but they also booed when the Coventry players took the knee before the game. Justin, I know it's a minority of supporters and it doesn't reflect the majority of their fan base, but this makes Sheffield Wednesday as a football club look really bad. And it it makes it look like some fans actively support racism, which I'm, I'm sure I'd hope isn't the case, but that, that's how it comes across. And it's really disappointing. You're... Absolutely brain dead if you're booing Casey Palmer because he, he's not done anything wrong here. If you're booing Kim, you may as well be cheering the guy who was doing monkey gestures mm. to him last week. It's, it's it's disgusting. And then the booing of the knee thing. Ugh, I mean, I've been pulling my hair out for years over this now. Yeah. And all I hear is it's supporting a mo- Marxist ideology or whatever that they say. And when the Coventry players on Friday decided they were going to take the knee, they didn't say to each other, yeah, let, let's do this to support a Marxist ideology, did they? They, they? That's complete and utter shit. They did it to make a stand against racism. It's as simple as that. And if you can't recognise that, you're incredibly ignorant. Anyway, that's what I have to say. Anything you want to add, Justin? I think you've got to credit Casey Palmer for having the bravery to go back just after a week uh, after this happened. I think it takes a lot for a player to do that. And it certainly certainly says more of him doing that than it does of the, you know, the supporters <laughs> booing, taking the knee. Um, and like you said, it's 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 brain dead. So there's you know, no question that they have no idea what Marxist ideology even means or what it even is. So that brain dead to 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 boo a gesture in support of a player who was racially abused at your football club by one of your fans last week. Um, I think Mark Robbins actually summed it up perfectly. You know, he's essentially saying grow up. Um, you know, society has a problem. The few let the majority down, and it's it's quite right. But it has unfortunately damaged the reputation. Of the supporters, these 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 few have done that, and you've got to call it out. Whatever that whatever it is, you've you've got to call it out. You've got to stand up and call it out because that's the only way it stops. In more cheerful news, there was a Sheffield Wednesday fan. Have you seen the video of this? The yeah. young Sheffield Wednesday yeah, fan who gave Casey Palmer a present after the game, which I thought was really really nice. That's that's content I like to see on social media. Don't get much good content on X nowadays, but uh, that that was nice. And in other cheerful news from a Coventry perspective what a goal by Victor Torp their new <laughs> midfielder there was a lot of excitement around that signing but that was an absolute belter wasn't it so that was hopefully a taste of what's to come there Justin let's do the polls this is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts and everything to do with the championship so the first question we asked was this after the draw between QPR and Huddersfield who's staying up Huddersfield QPR Rotherham Sheffield Wednesday. We're still stuck in the mindset that it's going to be three at the bottom four. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. It's going to be that's that's going to be the case. I'm really, I'm really stuck between Sheffield Wednesday and Huddersfield. Um, I want to edge towards Sheffield Wednesday though. I just, I've got something. Danny Rule's telling me something. What's he telling you? He's going to stay up. Okay, fine. <laughs> 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 a 
be something a bit more inspirational than that. I was going um, to do a German accent, but I avoided it. <laughs> 40% of people said Huddersfield, 32% said QPR, 25% said Sheffield Wednesday, 3% said Rotherham. Poor Rotherham. Um, how much do you care about the FA Cup? Loads? A bit? Not much? Not at all? A bit. A bit. It's the stories like Maidstone being Ipswich that really bring it to light. And even even you know, watching a couple of the games as well. Alan Shearer being in the stands for Newcastle's game as well. It's just you know, little things like that. I'm just going, it makes me a little bit cosy inside. But at the end of the day, we've had three games to talk about this week. So fuck me. It's been difficult. Yeah, it is difficult for a championship podcast, isn't it? But I tell you what, this is probably the most FA Cup action I've watched in a weekend in a long time. That is true. There's just been There's just been quite a lot happening. It helps when... The broadcasters get the right games on because that's if it, Maidstone v Ipswich wasn't on telly, then bloody hell. But it's but it's, but they get it wrong as well because it was uh, I know disrespect to these sides. Uh, Bournemouth Swansea. Actually, I don't think it was on TV. I think I watched it on Welsh TV. Weirdly, yeah, but they, the they do that, don't they? they? They'll often have two Premier League teams facing off against well, each other. The last round of... it was Palace Palace Everton, wasn't it? Which is yeah, a, it's a, load a really of crap game. Really annoys me. Anyway, uh, 45% of people said they care about the FA Cup a bit. 24% said loads. 20% said not much. 11% said not at all. And finally, what's your favourite pasta shape? Fusilli, macaroni, penne, spaghetti. What's the tube? Penne. Maybe penne. I uh, I always forget, but I actually like the macaroni-like things, but they're in a twirl. I don't know that one. No, I don't. I don't. I don't know what the pasta shapes are called. I, lasa- I can't be. You can't be a good lasagna sheet either. It's, it's that not. Is true. It's the OG, yeah, not the OG, but lasagna sheets are underrated. You a ravioli fan? I do like a filled ravioli. Yeah, yeah. They, they're they're actually they're really good. You get a good truffle truffle ravioli. Oof, Oof. chef's kiss. Ooh, I tell you what, fair play, Justin. Forty-three uh, percent of people said penne. 26% said fusilli, 22% said spaghetti, 9% said macaroni. I think macaroni's been a bit hard done to there. It's obviously been that poll hijacked by Penne fans, but there we go. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Yeah, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So Justin is going to ask me to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if he would say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and I would say Villa, that's one down. Newcastle, another down. But if I were to then say Weymouth, I would lose a life. All I need to do is give all eight answers without losing all of my lives. And you can get involved in the fun by saying any of your Hateful Eights for either Justin and I to answer. Send them into secondtierpod at gmail.com and you could, I say could, will get a shout out the next time we do a Hateful Eight. Alternatively, just play along at home and let us know how many you could get. Justin, who is this Hateful Eight from? This one is from me. I wanted to, I've had a couple cooking recently that I really wanted to throw out there. Um, So I've been selfish. Throw them at me, big boy. Yeah, the listeners will get their shout outs, but I've had a couple that I've got cooking and I want to get them out. So I want you to name for me the last eight foreign managers to be sacked or leave their clubs in the championship. In the championship, obviously. Okay, thank you. We're a championship book. Um, fine. How many lives are you giving me? I'm going to give you two lives. It's it's a bit easier. There's a couple of tricky ones, but you should get it. Quite a lot of them are last season. Bit of a clue, but quite a few of them are last season. Uh, all right, then. Foreign managers who have been sacked, you say. When or you say foreign, you mean... They're not... I, I, I did, the UK. UK and Ireland, not counting them, because fine. we'd be... We'd, we get to September. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Okay. 
Uh, fine. Isco Munoz. Correct. That's the first one. Obviously, he was sacked by Sheffield Wednesday earlier on this season. He's Spanish. Thank you. <laughs> You're going to get the nationalities as well. Um, okay. This is actually quite tricky, you know. It is. So every it time is. I'm thinking of a manager, it's just an English manager. Um, well, if some of them are last season, I'm going to have a stab in the dark and say Colo Torre might be in there. He's on there. He is fourth on my list. He was obviously at Wigan for... Fourth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was oh, obviously wow. at Wigan for a few weeks last season. Now, and he's, uh, he's from the Ivory Coast. Thank you. Um, well, in that case, Sabi Lemouchin must be in there. Yep, he's second on my list. He's French and obviously he left Cardiff in the summer. Wow, so he's second. Mm-hmm. So we're having to go back quite a way, aren't we here? Um, uh, what was the hall manager? What was his name before Vizinia? Um Shota Arvaladze. Correct, he's fifth on my list. Fifth? Yep, you're missing the third one. But he's fifth on my list, uh, list and he's he's Georgian. He was sacked last season, as you said, from Hull. I think I know who that third one was. It was Slaven Bilic. You've got him. The yeah. Croatian Slaven Bilic. Obviously at Watford. One of Watford's 32 managers last season. I'm trying to remember Watford managers now, but uh, it was Rob <laughs> Edwards before him, wasn't it? So that's obviously not true. Um, God, this is tricky. Well, we seem like we're going quite a far, quite a way back here. So I'm going to throw one in there. I feel like it may be a bit too early, though. Valerie and Ishmael at West Brom? He's he's ninth. Oh, OK. He's that, That's a good marker, though. That's a good marker. Yes. So you're going back a couple of seasons now. Correct. You? you are. And I'm trying to remember who got bloody relegated. Um, Velko Paunovic? He's on there. He's on there. What number is so it? he's eighth. Uh, he was obviously sat by Reading, and I think he's Serbian. I've not actually written down his. Uh... He is Serbian, yeah. Yeah, yeah. didn't didn't write down his nationality, but yes, uh, I think he was sacked in February. How many more have I got then, Justin? You've got two more. You're actually going really well. I'll su- I'm surprised at the pace of this. Yeah, I feel like I've gone too quick now, though, because I'm struggling a bit. Come out of the blocks, come out of the blocks hard, and now you are tired. Yeah, I'm bloody knackered. I am. Um, Carlos Carbran. <laughs> I can't. My eyes gave it away. Uh, yes, Carlos Carbran is is on there. He's seventh. You've got one more left. Obviously, he's Spanish, and he left Huddersfield at the end of the twenty one twenty two season. And what number is this? This uh, is number seven. You're missing, and that, this is a tricky one. So it's between Paunovic and Corberan. Oh, that's a that's a tricky little bugger. Um. No, I think I'm going to have to knock this on the head because I'm, uh, just I'm, I'm just going through. I'm, I'm literally going through clubs in my head, trying to remember who the manager was and every single fuck is English. So I'm just going to have to give up, Justin, I think. Just name some English managers. Ugh. At least use your guesses up. Well, I, I, I don't bloody know. Alex Neil. Well, he's Scottish, so <laughs> yes. you're wrong on, on, exactly. on, both, on both counts. Well, I'm out then, aren't I? Uh, well, no. You've still okay. Fine, I'll just give you the one you. <laughs> it's painful. The one you were missing is Poyes Bargi. Oh bloody hell! I would have never got that in a million years. I don't think that was that was very tricky. That was the man from Sweden, Poyes Bargi, sacked from Barnsley in the twenty one twenty two campaign. Just a very forgettable manager. A very forgettable manager in a very, very forgettable, forgettable Barnsley team. Yeah, 
I would have never got that. But it was a good question, to be fair to you. I, I enjoyed that. I think I did a lot better than I was ever expecting when you first read it out to me. I, to be fair, you, you came out so quick. I was like, oh, I maybe should have made it a bit harder, gone for something else. So no, no. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take my hat. You did well. You did well. Yeah, if I got a Poyas Boggy there, then I uh, <laughs> I would have been just in- amazed at myself, I think. Anyway, that's been Simon Grayson's Hate for Late. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. And we'll be back again on Thursday. Well, actually, it's a quite a big week, isn't it? Because we've got the January transfer window coming to a close this week. So I believe the deadline is on Thursday night. So what we'll do on Thursday, because we've got midweek games as well, we'll talk about those midweek games and talk about any transfer bits and pieces which happen over the coming days. And then any deadline day deals we'll talk about in Friday's episode alongside the usual preview show. So that's all well and good. That's what you've got to look forward to this week, ladies and gentlemen. It's a big week here on the Second Tier Podcast, so make sure you tune in. Before we go, Justin, there was something you wanted to mention, wasn't there? I did. I did. It's also a big week for someone I know. Um, one of the coaches at my gym uh, I train at is, is running a, a kilometre a day for charity. So essentially January 1st, he ran 1K. January 2nd, he ran 2K. At the time of recording, it's January 28th. He ran 28k today. His Ooh. feet probably resemble mashed potato at this point. Um, but he's running for Pancreatic Cancer UK. I ran five of five k of the 28 today, so I did my bit along alongside other people from from the gym. Um, and I say at the time of recording, raised just under two thousand pounds, which is a monumental effort. So if anyone could spare some pennies, that would be great. The link will be in the podcast description as well, um, where you can find updates through the link on his Forest Gump like running endeavours. It's a big, big effort. A lot of running, a lot of blisters. Um, and yes, I could not imagine ever doing that. No, I wouldn't thank you for it. I mean, just running 1K sounds bad to me. Anyway, that's been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Just a Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 